0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Awesome, awesome. Wonderful to be together this morning. Uh, My name is Gabe Phillips, If we have not met before. Um, I'm the resident redhead here at Life Changes, get to be a pastor as well, but also married to the beautiful Fiona and um, the dad to Olivia Grace, who's about 21 months now. And we've got number two, a little bun in the oven, a little redhead, uh, working, working his or her way out, coming to a theater near you, a hospital theater in June next year. And, uh, we're very excited as our family grows and, uh, we're looking forward to, to whether, whether a little person is a redhead or not. We'll be happy either way. So just, just putting it out there. Very, very exciting times. But it's a privilege to be together this morning. Um, this is, well, I'm the most wonderful time of the year. I don't know if you believe it. I agree with the bony M carols. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And yet there's still some things about it that just don't quite make sense to me. I don't know about you, but I, I'm still a bit perplexed that my daughter is learning songs that have the words Frosty the Snowman in it and dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, whatever that is. And we're singing those in 40-degree heat. It's, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but we love it. We love it still. So it doesn't make sense to me that Mary and Joseph, uh, a whole bunch of wise men and shepherds, all these, these people together, none of them would have put a stop to a little drummer boy walking in and playing a snare drum in an infant's ear. That's irresponsible. Just want to put it out there. It doesn't make sense. Got to make it clear. But also, ultimately, what doesn't make sense for me is the fact that some of us are still dreaming of a white Christmas when literally I'm only hoping and praying for one where ESCOM leaves our electricity on. I don't know about you, but that's some good Christmas humor right there. But, uh, let me tell you, I, I don't know about you, but Christmas sometimes doesn't quite make sense. But for us here at Life Changes, we are start we last week and we'll carry on as we lead up to Christmas. As we get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ, when God became man to redeem us, to save us, to become like us, to rescue us out of our, our, our pitiful estate. Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year, we're reminded of this great gift in Jesus Christ. We started a series called God is Here, declaring that very fact. But maybe you're sitting here today uh, on the 9th of December 2018, and for you, hearing the words God is here doesn't really resound true in your heart. Maybe you're facing situations that seem overwhelming, seem a bit large, seem beyond your capability, and God might be there for that person. It might be there for that person, but for me, where I am right now, Gabe, God doesn't seem like He's here in this moment. For some people, they, they had family members die. This in the last few, in the last little while. And just in that situation, it might feel like, where is God in this story? Or or other people have, have gone through sickness and not the, the sickness that just comes for two days and leaves, but a sickness that just seems to settle in and won't leave no matter what we try. And you wonder, where is God in that? Maybe it's for you. You're asking God, where are you in the face of pain, depression, failure, anxiety, or fear? And you're saying, God, where are you? And you have all these questions in your heart. Well, I'm glad you asked those questions this morning. Because I believe that the Bible has a lot to say to people who ask those sort of questions. Some comforting, reassuring, encouraging words. And actually so much so that the Bible is actually broken up into two parts. If you're unaware, first part is called the Old Testament. The second part is the New Testament. And right in the, in the middle, I won't do it because I dropped my Bible in the first service. But in the middle, separating the old, the last few words of Malachi, the prophets, and the New Testament, which begins in the Gospels. There's a little page in my Bible. So one page that separates a blank piece of paper. And that one piece of paper that separates the old from the new actually represents 400 years. 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. 400 years, which the scholars call the inter-testimonial period, which more, more colloquially is known as the silent years, where it seemed like God had become silent on, on His people. Over that period, no new scripture was written, no prophetic words were heard. It just seemed as if the people were saying, God was there in the old... God was there with Moses, God was there with Abraham, God was there with Joshua, David, Daniel in the lion's den. God was there, but for us right now, for 400 years, it didn't, for to declare God is here it just didn't ring true in their hearts. But the story is interrupted as, as God breaks in, as an angel comes and declares on page 1 of the New Testament that actually God is not only there, but He's here in this present moment. And the powerful opportunity that comes in that moment is where we find the Christmas story or what we like to call here the Christmas glory. As we get ready to lean into what God wants to say to us now here, not just there, not just then, but now today. So I'm going to ask you, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read a portion of scripture that's found in the gospel of Luke, Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. It'll be on the screen. We stand because we want to posture our hearts in faith this morning. But let me read it to you. It says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent the angel Gabriel. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you see yourself in Scripture. You know, just like, thank you, Lord. I know he's speaking to me. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you this morning as we gather around your word together I thank you ultimately that you are here. We're not just speaking into a vacuum. We're not just doing a religious activity. We are gathering where the presence of God is. You are here with us. And I thank you, Father God, you are here to speak life and into every disappointed, every disqualified, every dysfunctional, every doubting heart. And I pray by the power of your word, would you do what only you can do and bring life to every single one of us here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat, give a high five to someone next to you on the way down, a fist bump if you're more courageous, or even a holy kiss if you know them well. Massive privilege to be together. This morning, before we get into this quite familiar passage of scripture that a lot of, if you've been around in church for any length of time, you would have heard preach now and again, especially around this Christmas time. A familiar portion of text, but I believe that God has, has got a lot for us in it. But first we have to lay some groundwork and get some context to this, this text that we're reading. Firstly, we have to understand that, that actually the Scripture opens up and tells us this took place in a place called Nazareth. A little town in a, in, a, in, a, in a province of Galilee. And the incredible thing about Nazareth, when we see the word Nazareth there in Scripture, it's the first time this town is mentioned in all of Scripture. So all of the Old Testament, all the 39 books of the Old Testament, none of them have a reference to Nazareth. This is the first time all the old rabbinical extra writings of the Jewish uh, Jewish tradition, oral traditions, none of them up to this point mentioned Nazareth. Nazareth, why, was actually one of those backwater towns. It hosted about, the stats would tell us, around 50 to 100 people at this time. It was one of those one horse towns that you on a road trip will drive through, you'll blink and it's gone. You might stop there for uh, some co- a bit of coke and, and a little bit of a petrol in your tank, but that's about it. Not much else going on in this town called Nazareth. What's more of it was that it actually was become a bit of a, a punchline of jokes. It was a bit of a punchline in, for the, the, the community of that day. So far as much in John chapter 2, one of the disciples, when he hears about Nazareth, he says, this, "He says, what good comes from Nazareth? It's almost like sarcastically joking. Nazareth, you come from there? Shame. Shame. It was almost, you'll say, an Englishman, Irish an Irishman, and a Nazarene. Those are the jokes they would have told because Nazareth, what good comes from Nazareth? And actually we find that actually Nazareth is where the story begins. 400 years of silence is broken in Nazareth with God declaring God is here. And he starts in a town called Nazareth, which if you look at the etymology of that word and what it actually means, Nazareth means separated. So it's fascinating that the, the gospel gets declared in a town that is backwater, run-of-the-mill, on the side, there, small population, nothing good comes from Nazareth, it's a punchline of a joke, it's very name even means separated from, from mainstream life and culture, but God says, I'm going to start there, in Nazareth. We find Nazareth as the starting place. What's more though, as we meet in Nazareth, the angel reveals himself to a, a, a woman, a young woman, and actually maybe tradition, Christian church tradition will will paint dramatic pictures of Mary and they'll put uh, uh, this uh, in in stained glass windows, pictures of a Mary that looks like in the mid-30s with a bit of a halo on and this beautiful glow as if she's been using some wonderful Nivea products. Just like, wow, Mary. When scholars will actually tell us she was more likely a a young teenager between the age of 12 and 15, they'll say that's probably her age. So if you want to get your head in the game here about Mary, to to get a proper understanding of her. She probably, if she was born now, she would have been Instagramming her food. That's Mary. She would have been talking in hashtags and emoticons. This is Mary. Mary would have been a teenage girl. She would have been actually probably somebody who's counting down the days till Ed Sheeran comes. That's the Mary we're dealing with here. A young 12 to 15 year old. And actually scripture tells us she would have been a, a, a very a peasant girl. A poor girl. Because actually when her and Joseph go to the temple a little bit later, they provide the sacrifice, which is a bird. Which if you read Leviticus, is a, if people provide a bird as a sacrifice, it shows that they didn't have enough money to buy the proper lamb sacrifice. So this was a young peasant girl who was young from a town called Separated. Not more, more than that, the fact that she was a woman should get our attention. Why? Because actually in that culture, in that day and age, women... Were, were seen as secondary, said possibly Mary would have been illiterate, couldn't read or write, wasn't taught that stuff. Actually, so much so, she was actually not allowed, a woman allowed in the temple, she was allowed at the back of probably the local synagogue, and actually most of her teaching about the, the, the oral traditions of her faith would have come secondhand, via, 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 passed down the, the down the rung, because women were seen as separate. They learned from a distance. So we meet a young girl in a town called Separate, who's excluded. And then what's, finally, the scripture tells us, the little insight it gives us, tells us she was engaged. The best, better word is probably betrothed. Other texts tell us, other translations say betrothed. And now, betrothed for us is a foreign word, but in that culture, betrothals are a little bit up from engagement and a little bit less than marriage. It was about a year that was put aside for couples that, that they, would, they would be together for a year. They wouldn't consummate the marriage. They would wait till that day, but all, they lived almost as if separate, but as if they were married. The incredible thing this was so serious that we read in Matthew one when we read about joseph 's account that actually if, if people messed around during this time actually or things didn 't go, go well, that you'd need a certificate of divorce to break this relationship so it 's quite a serious relationship, and actually they actually had scholars tell us that in far far uh, flung towns that actually they would, who would hold to the letter of the law, if somebody would mess around and commit adultery or cheat during this year, even though it 's not marriage but betrothal. If they were to cheat and commit adultery, that actually the law would permit them, if they would require it, to stone that woman who was involved in that. So this is the context. We we find this, this young girl who's from Nazareth, who's betrothed to be married. And all of a sudden in her world, her, her, her small 50 to 100 people world, small world of this is my life, that's my track for my life, getting married to Joe in about in a year's time, this is what I'm going for. Her world gets turned upside down when an angel of the Lord comes to her after 400 years of silence and says, Mary, everything's about to change. And in that moment, I can imagine fear knocking on the door of her heart, saying, Mary, if this happens to you, who knows the, the consequences for you? Divorce, potentially even death. And on the same moment, faith is knocking at the same time. She has a choice there in that moment. Faith or fear. Faith or fear in that moment. And I believe you and I are confronted with those same emotions daily. This is not just a text that's left in the scripture of some bygone era. This is for us here today. And I want to show you how this is applicable to our lives. Because I believe we need a strategy that when disappointment, when dysfunction, when disqualification come knocking at the door of our hearts and want to drag us along to fear, I believe that you and I need to learn how to fight for our futures. Futures are at stake for the way that we fight this war. So I'm going to give us three points this morning on how we fight for our futures. Are you guys okay for that? You're up for that? 10.30? Give me a wave. Come on, you guys are good people. So three things out of this text that leap out of me. Number one, how we fight for our futures, we need to learn how to Resist fear. Resist fear. A few months back, it was a, it was a, it was an early evening, and uh, the sun was just setting, I went outside into our, into our small property, the front lawn there, and I was tidying up my daughter's toys, which had been strewn across the lawn, it was getting dark, and all of a sudden I, I heard a noise just on the, the across the wall, right next door to us. The house is right on our doorstep there, and uh, it was a noise that just took my breath away and put fear into me in a second. Why? Because actually, our neighbor told me he was going away for a while, And he told me his return date, and he had not returned yet. And all the lights were off, but I heard the noise of a human being next door. My blood ran cold, and I did what any self-respecting, brave ginger would do. I went quiet and slowly retreated backwards into my house, (laughs) shut the gate, locked the door as quiet as I could, and set the alarm very quickly. I rushed upstairs and and, and looked through the upstairs window quietly, seeing if I could see any activity in in the, the house next door. And I stood there for about five minutes just watching. Could I see anything? After a while, nothing happened. I thought, maybe it's a, a large dog, or maybe it's my imagination. Maybe life just has been a bit boring recently. I'm trying to conjure up something exciting. I don't know. So I, I went up and I told Fiona, this is what happened. Was, hey, something's something's up next door, but don't worry, I put the alarm on. But then I started getting ready for bed, and I got ready for the shower. So uh, I'll say no more than the fact that I was scantily clad at this moment. And some of you are laughing. Well, I don't understand why. Come on, it's not helpful, guys. It's not helpful to guy preaching. But at that moment, all of a sudden, bam, the alarm went off. The beams in our garden were broken. And I yelled out, I knew it! I knew it! Now, a quick disclaimer is that I grew up in Zimbabwe and, uh, it was like, every, it was a routine in our lives that once a month we would get robbed. Just was like, almost we knew they would come, they would say, we're coming on this day, no, didn't go that far. We'd leave out milk and cookies for them. No, but, but it was, it was a regular occurrence. We had, uh, robberies happen in our, in our neighborhood all the time. So we just, the security would get bigger. So an alarm sound, it does something to me that, I don't know if it does to you, but when I hear a house alarm, something triggers in my brain. Fear just erupts in my brain. So much so that this evening, when, when I heard the alarm, I said, I knew it, I knew it. I started to run around like a little bit of a headless chicken in this moment. First thing you probably should do is answer the ringing phone to to talk to the armed response. Maybe the next thing is to pick up a golf club or a weapon of choice. Maybe even put on some pants would seem like a logical thing to do. But for me in this moment, as my head was spinning, as fear was gripping my heart, I did something profound. I put on a cap. To this day, I still cannot tell you why that was my first response. Put on a cap. Now I'm ready. I tell that silly story mainly for my wife's mirth, who loves to laugh at me every time I retell it. But also to say that I think fear, in a joking way, but in in all seriousness, fear does something to us it makes us do stupid things. Fear will lead us down paths where maybe it's not just a silly trite thing of putting a cap on when when thieves are at bay, but fear will motivate hearts to settle for futures that are much smaller than what God has for them. Fear will come and it does something. It wires in our brain and we, we almost start picking up the, a posture of expecting fear. In that evening, I was expecting. I knew it. Almost triumphantly, I rejoiced at the fact that I was right. And I think a lot of us, we posture ourselves expecting fear to come into our lives. Maybe if this rings true with you. You've become fearful of the phone ringing because you think there might be bad news on the other side. You become fearful when your boss walks past your door at work because you think there might be a retrenchment plan that's on the go. You become fearful with your with your, your spouse because you think he or her might be planning to leave you. You get fearful that the sickness that's invaded your body will never leave and you'll never actually get better. We start picking up that posture of fear. Now, I say this as a preface for the fact that I, 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 the scripture tells us that doubt in itself is not bad. How do I know this? Well, one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple, was even given the nickname Doubting Thomas. And he was not pushed aside, he was invited close. I want to tell you, Matthew 28:20, 20, a great scripture, when Jesus is raised from the dead, it says this, Some his disciples gathered and they worshipped him, comma, and some doubted. It's just profound. Jesus doesn't even reply with a backhanded slap saying, you fools, look at me. No, no, he invites them near. So much that actually Mary's first response is not some triumphalistic, charismatic, ha, let's go for this. She, a little bit of, I can imagine, She, it's how the scripture says, confused and disturbed, seeing that angel invade her smallness, her separate nature, her exclu- excluded nature in Nazareth. This, this woman, she says, the queen said, how could this be? I'm a virgin. So doubt in itself is not bad. It's what we do with that doubt or that fear. That is the problem. You see, it's how we walk with doubt will, will determine whether we walk into a dead end repeatedly or we we'll walk into our destiny. What, what I learned from the scripture I read about Mary is that Mary took her fear, her doubt, to the one who conquers fear. Instead of allowing her to run riots and lead her down paths of destruction, she took her doubt and her fear and she took it to the one who conquers fear. She took it to the Word. She allowed the Word of God to fight for her in that situation. You see, this is the powerful thing. As as Mary had this doubt, she went straight back to the angel. And said, "How can this be?" And and the angel brought clarity, brought the word of God to that situation. I think too often you and I are people who allow the word of the naysayers to speak death over our marriages. We we allow the the word of economics and politics to speak death over our future in this country. We run to the word of friends that are not good for us. We run to the words of, of opinions of man and opinions of doctors and opinions of, and those things uh, hold weight at times. But I think when we're running to them with our doubts and our fears, they're never going to lead us into freedom. We've got to run to the living word of God. I've decided in my heart that I'm not going to allow ESCOM or economics to determine my faith level for this country. I'm going to allow the word of God to call me into the future. Now, and maybe that sounds naive for you, but I tell you, I lived in Zimbabwe. I've been there, <laughs> but I can tell you God is still faithful. God is still good and his word still remains. And I'm not going to allow my heart to go in to, to, fear to the negative and run down paths of destruction because the word of God is spoken. And you see, this is the big thing. The, the Bible, we believe the word of God is true. We believe it 100%. At this church, we believe this is the highest authority of what God's spoken, even if it doesn't line up with our tradition or the way we think things should be. The word of God trumps it every time. But you see, this is the word that the, 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 the Greek word is the logos, the spoken word of God, that which has been established, that which is a moveable, that which will come to pass. Every word is, is, is from his mouth, is good for us, and is godly. That's what he's spoken. We believe that. And I think many of us in the charismatic Western culture will go, Amen. The Bible, yes. The problem is, I think, for, for us, for Mary, this is a girl who grew up, and she probably would have known, and we know she knows something of Scripture. Why? Because in Luke chapter 2, she breaks forth into song, which is all Scripture from the Old Testament. She just starts singing the Bible out loud, so she knows Scripture. She would have known the prophecies that God is going to come through a virgin. She, that the Messiah will come through a virgin she knows those prophecies but all of a sudden those prophecies of God there yeah that's good yes, amen preacher, the God there comes and in, in her search, uh, situation the angel says those prophecies are you fear hits in possibly doubt comes in what? no God's there but not, surely not here and you see, I want to tell us in this moment that actually that we, we believe the Logos, what God has spoken, but actually we can't just settle there, we need to allow it to become a Rhema. Uh, it's a Greek word, Rhema means the, the Logos, the spoken word of God exploding to life for me. Rhema is not just the church in Joburg. It's a, it's a word that says that the word that God has spoken is not just good for them or there or there, but it's good for me and allow it to become revelation, allow the penny to drop for you, because it's only the Word of God that will sustain you in that situation. Let me make this real for us. In the year 2003... My family uh moved from Zimbabwe to Durban on the on the back of all the political upheaval uh and, and all that was going on. And my dad who had built the home his our home that we lived in from scratch with his own hands almost, uh but all his finance for thirty years he had built this home, paid the mortgage off here for thirty years, he had been paying into a pension fund, we had been he had done everything godly in a godly way, raising his children in a godly way, he had worked in the company and got favour, but all in a in a moment it seemed like all of that had disappeared. Overnight, the economy collapsed and everything it worked for was worth zero. And we had to uh, immigrate to Durban. We arrived in Durban with literally a, a, a bit of money in our pockets and our bags in our hands. And for the next year, we lived at the mercy of people in a local church there who put us in the in their gar- uh, granny flat at the back of their garden. One-bedroom granny flat. And I remember that year distinctly. I was 15 years old. And uh, I remember the, the time. This was not a triumphant year for my dad. This was not a charismatic, yes, God is good year. It was probably the toughest year of our lives. And I I remember going to school every day and coming back. And my dad would go out as well. He would take his CV. But as a 50-year-old male in a new country with not many connections, many of those doors would be politely shut saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And the one month became two, three, became a year of no employment. And fear started to knock at the door. Fear started to knock at the door. Of the of the door of my dad's heart, but I, I, what I'm so grateful for is I came home from school and would leave for school every day. I would leave a picture of my dad. I've, it's, it's, it's burned into my brain of my dad sitting with the scriptures. Scriptures. This was a godly man who knew the word of God, who knew God had been there in Zimbabwe, had been faithful. But now in the situation where everything being stripped away, was asking the question: Is God here? But as he read the scriptures, he sang out them loud, and I saw not with loud voice, but just with a conviction of heart, as he took his doubts and his fears to the word of God stumbling at first, but he took those to the word of God, I saw faith start to trickle into his heart. What's more, as a young man who was watching, for the first time, I saw what real faith looked like. Faith was not based on circumstances, but based on one who was higher than the circumstances. And faith exploded in my heart for the first time. I, I want to tell you that fa- fear is going to come and knock on your door. Fear is coming to knock on your door. But I'll say, will you choose to open that door? Will you resist fear and lean into what God has for you? Point one, resist fear. Secondly, we need to pick up our second response from Scripture, is that Mary didn't just resist fear, she responded in faith. Responded in faith. The Scripture ends with her saying this, I am the Lord's servant, let it be done unto me as you have spoken. Now that's a profound line, so profound in Scripture, because actually for Mary saying yes to this, this proclamation over her life, it would come with the knowledge of definite discomfort through pregnancy, it comes with the knowledge that actually there's potential divorce, Joseph leaving a financial wreck and ruin and destitution. There's a the potential even of death laying on the other side of this, of this uh, saying yes to God. Because if Joseph doesn't believe her that actually this is of God and not of some other man, the whole culture could shun her and exclude her and separate her and push her away. So this yes is not light and fluffy. I'll do it. This is a yes that's backed with the pressure of actually if God is not who he says he is. I'm not going to stand. But this is Mary stepping out in faith. She responds in faith. You see, faith to be faith requires action. Faith to be faith requires, uh, needs needs to be walked out, needs to be acted upon. You see, for Moses in the Old Testament Scriptures, Moses at at the banks of the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind him, faith to be faith needed him to lift up his staff. For for Joshua, faith to be faith, uh, before he crossed into the, the, the promised land, he had to step into the river. Faith to be faith uh, for David was for him to pick up the stones. He stared in the eyes of Goliath and fling and let go of those stones, trusting that those things would be enough. Faith requires action. Faith is a response system that we need to put in place. I say that because I think for many of us, we've got the enemy looming large in front of us. We've got opposition tearing down behind us that we know we can't outpace. We've got a situation where we just feel like we're moments from going under and being overwhelmed. But I want to ask you, what does faith demand of you at this moment? Because I I, I know I've said things like this. I want to be generous, but I don't think my budget can handle it right now. I've said things like, I want to confess, but I don't think my emotions are strong enough. I want to step out and start that new initiative. I want to speak to that colleague about Christ. I want to challenge the status quo, but maybe it's not my place to do so. I've said all those things, and, but actually it came real to me when we fell pregnant with our little girl, Olivia Grace, and we heard the news for the first time and joy erupted in my heart as, as a proud new dad that I'm going to be a dad. But what followed very quickly is we went to subsequent doctor visits, so they told us the potential, uh, you need to sign up for this test and this test and this test to make sure there's no the, this this scenario over your baby and this scenario over your baby. And then they all said, don't tell people you're pregnant yet. Wait till this certain marker because most pregnancies are, are lost during this time. And and all these words were spoken. And we've also been involved in pastoral work for the last 10 years. And I've seen many couples fall pregnant and unfortunately have the, the pain of a miscarriage or, or uh, um, yeah things that go wrong. And I remember at that time, fear at that moment starts knocking at my door in a very real way. Not just out there, but right here in this moment, fear is going, what are you going to do at this moment? And for me, this is not for everyone, but for us, where I felt actually all these suggestions of the tests that could need to be done to make sure of this thing. And also to keep quiet till this time. I couldn't do that because we preach community here. I preach community. I said, community is not just at the good times, it's also in the bad times, the tough times. And if I really believe that, how can I exclude people from that journey in, because it might not go well? So for me, I had to stand up and I had the privilege of preaching at our congregation in Milton. And I said, at the five-week mark, we're pregnant. And there was eruption. Yeah, everyone excited. exciting. But people don't know. It wasn't an announcement for them. It was a declaration for me. That actually I was saying, no matter what happens, actually whether the baby lives or dies or it's not perfect or the health is not brilliant, I don't mind because I actually, I care, but I trust him more. I trust Him more than allowing fear to rattle me and shake me. Actually, faith demands me to respond. For me, that was helpful. And actually, I had to walk that journey the whole way through because fear wants to keep taking our minds to the place, keep doing stupid things, keep going down small paths, dead-end ways. And actually, at the eighth-month part, uh, stage of the pregnancy, just before she was born, we were, we were told that actually she, she was breached and the potential is she had the cord wrapped around her neck. So we couldn't have a natural birth because we have to have C-section. All of a sudden, knocking again, fear Going. what are you going to do now? Because those words in a dad's ears, there's a cord wrapped around her neck, just freak people out. But I had to keep choosing again and again. I'm going to respond in faith. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to resist fear and I'm going to respond in faith. And actually this is the journey every every day, every time since then when liver gets sick and the, the crying goes on for a bit longer and I don't know when the coughing just stays and I don't know how to stop it. That fear wants to rise up and knock on the door. I have to have a strategy. I've got to resist fear but I've also got to respond in faith because actually I've got to start learning a new way to walk into my future. This is how real it gets for you and I. I want to land this morning. With the final thought in this, this thing, I'll call him Paley up to play keys because this point sounds more dramatic when there's keys, I think. But I, I really have, as I've been reading this text, I think a lot of us, we, we need to learn how to resist fear. We need to learn how to uh, respond in faith. But actually, it's something that's profound is in the story is that we need to learn how to receive his favor. We need to receive his favor. You see, the story begins with Mary, uh, with the angel Gabriel breaking 400 years of silence, of them going, God is there but not here. 400 years of that pain, that separation, exclusion of not knowing. The angel comes and declares this, not with a big theological treatise or some big uh, exposition of the text. No, no, he just gets up and the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. Declares this over her life. A girl who is disqualified by any natural metric. But he said, you have found favor. Now, favor is this, is simply defined as undeserved. Favor is unearned. Favor is not worked for, it's not borrowed for, it's not begged for, it's not pleaded for. You can't carry this favor. This is a favor from God that is purely determined, not by your nature, but by his. A favor from God to you and I. And this was the declaration the first time as God declared the gospel to Mary in the new covenant. Declared here that this was not just for Mary. This is for you and I, an invitation for every single one of us who would follow. You see, what, what happened here is the fact that God has declared it and the angel came and declared it to Mary and subsequently has declared it over our lives. You have received favor. It's been declared. Now we have to believe it and receive it for ourselves. so easy to say, yeah, for them. Great for them. They have found favor. Yes, they have found favor. It's not determined on your circumstances, It's determined on his nature. But you have to believe it for yourself. And he has something that's profound. Mary asks the question, how is this going to happen? And the angel says to her, let me tell you, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he's going to overshadow you, and he's going to birth the life of Jesus in you. Now, it's profound. That's like, wow. But the incredible thing is that's not the first time we've seen those words come upon and overshadow in Scripture. Actually, if you turn to page one of Scripture, Genesis chapter one, you see it, one of the first words you see is saying, it says, the earth was dark, empty, and formless. Just like Mary's womb. Nothing natural going on in there. How can this be God? The earth was dark, empty and formless, and says this the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep. The better rendition of the word was he was overshadowing the deep. It's the same word that's used in Genesis one as in Luke one. But also the incredible thing is if you look at when Jesus died and went into the tomb, the book of Romans and one Peter three tells us the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and the one Peter three tells us the Holy Spirit how he did the Holy Spirit was hovering over the tomb. A tomb that was dark, empty, formless, contained death, but the Spirit of God was hovering over that. Again, it, well, the fourth time it appears in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples are fearful, and Jesus says, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but I'm going to, but don't worry, you're not in trouble. And they're fearful, and fear's knocking at the door. What are we going to do? We just Peter's going to lead us? Not him, anybody but him, please. But the Spirit, Jesus says, no, this is what's going to happen. It says, Acts 1 verse 8, it says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The Spirit rendition is going to overshadow you, and you will receive power. Here's the incredible thing. Four times scholars tell us the scripture show The same word appears in scripture. It happens at creation, when it's dark, empty, formless, earth is doing nothing. It says, power's going to come upon you and fill you and change you. Over Mary's womb, where it's dark, empty, formless, at, at, at incarnation, where God became man, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, going to overshadow you. Over the tomb, at resurrection, so the Holy Spirit's going to come upon Jesus and raise him from the dead. Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 2 says uh, over new creation going to come upon you here's the incredible thing for me as I read that text over situations that are dark empty and formless maybe your life is feeling dark empty and formless maybe your emotions are dark empty and formless maybe you say I don't know where to go I don't know God's not here in this thing maybe it's good for them but not here for me I've got such faith for you today because this is the reason hope for you is that whether it was in the boom in the womb in the tomb or in the upper room God was saying actually I don't need your abilities I can bring life to dark empty, formless spaces No matter, based on my nature, not yours. Based on my nature, not your circumstance. Based on my ability, not your separation, your exclusion, your doubt, your disqualification. When fear comes knocking, we answer open the door to receive His favor in that moment. Because this is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He calls the Spirit of God and God's favor the hound dog of heaven. Maybe you think you're far from God this morning. The hound dog of heaven will pursue you and seek you down. Psalm 23 tells us that his mercy and love will follow us for all the days of our lives. It will follow you and follow you and follow you. When the faith, fear comes knocking, open the door to the hound dog. His favor wants to invade your situation. Your life is dark, empty, formless. Your finance is dark, empty, formless. Your marriage is dark, empty, formless. I've got nowhere to go. Perfect conditions for God to bring his life. Because that's how favor works. It ends with this reality. And this is why I have hope for us today. I have such hope for every single heart here today, including my own. I have such hope for my future and my ability to parent, my ability to provide in this situation, this country, in this moment. Why? Because God takes nobodies from nowhere and says, I'm going to bring my life of God through them. God takes a a woman who was excluded, who was living in a town called Separate. A town that was called separated. God says, I'm going to go there to bring them into the family of God. This is the good news of the gospel. And this, this whole scripture lands with us. It says this. The angel with delight I can imagine declaring over Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. Now, here's the thing. If I was reading that properly, I, every time I almost read it, I almost read it wrong. I almost say nothing is impossible for God. Which is true. Which is logos. Which is, yes, we all probably would nod. Yeah, nothing is impossible for God. Sounds good. But the angel says, it's not just logos, not just for there, not just, yeah, for God. Yeah, he can do it. He's brought that near to you. God is here in your situation, in your dark, empty and formless, in your ability. I don't know how to make this work. He says, nothing impossible with God. Partner with me. Watch, invite me into that situation. Watch what I'll do. I want us to ask us if we'll stand at this moment. Because I have got faith burning in my heart. That no matter where you stand this morning, whether your marriage is in a mess, if your marriage is in a mess today, or your relationships are chaos, and you don't know, you don't see a way forward, or you're saying, how will we navigate this? But how? Resist fear, respond in faith, receive his favor. If your addictions are out of control, resist fear, respond in faith, receive his favor. If your emotions are in turmoil, If your heart is filled with anxiety or depression, this is how we break the back of fear. Fear will keep knocking. Fear will keep coming because the Bible promises us that in this world you will have trouble. It's coming. Live long enough, we will bleed. But take heart, he says. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And actually we have authority because of the power of God, the favor of God, that we can resist fear. We don't have to open that door to fear. We get to resist fear. We get to respond in faith. And we get to receive His favor. And when our future seems separated, when our future seems excluded, when our future seems dark, empty, and formless, He says, I've got a different way. It's not about you. It's about my son, Jesus Christ. Can we close our eyes in this moment? View you here today... And you're saying, I've been opening the door to fear too often. Whether it's your finances, your emotions, your relationships, your future, your whatever, your, your addictions. You've been opening to fear. And you say, I don't know. And you're carrying this dark, empty, formless space. You've been saying, today, I'm going to allow the spirit of the living God to breathe life on that area. If that's you, faith would dictate there needs to be a response. This morning I say, could that response be your hands and your hearts lifted to heaven? If that's you, lift them as high as you can. We resist fear by responding in faith. Fathers, these hands are lifted to you as a response and indication of our hearts. This is a surrender moment. As we say, you take my dark, empty, and formless, Jesus. You take that relationship that I see no way forward in. You take that emotional state that I'm in, and you say, I don't know what to do with that. You take that anxiety. You take that depression. You take that sickness. You take that fear. You take that economic, economic state. And I say, empty, dark, and formless, God, perfect conditions for you to work. I thank you right now as people in this moment, an act of war, as they are resisting fear in this moment, as they are responding in faith. I thank you, Father, we get to receive your favor now because of your son, Jesus. Not worked for, not earned, not begged for, not pleaded for, but received because the son of God is declared that whom the Son says free is free indeed. I thank you, Father God, that the back of fear is broken right now and that door does not need to be opened. In Jesus' name. I thank you for this, Jesus. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.